0: Genesis 10 and 11 today. I don't know about you, but the urgency of life seems to be wearing us out. So just look at your, your weekly schedule. Why is it that you are overjoyed when someone cancels? It's like, wow, I am so glad I have a break. See, it's our, in our urgent lives that we can, we can lose sight of the important things like foundational purpose and meaning, and that's very core, who we are. What's our identity in this thing we call life in the stream of human history? And I think we need perspective to be reminded of our purpose and our identity. We need to see our lives in the context of what has preceded us. And it is called history. I know for many of you that was your favorite subject in school. It was mine. I guess I'm a nerd. This perspective then helps us catch a glimpse of what lies ahead into the future. Only then can we live our present with a clear identity of who we are We must understand where we come from, what this means to gain some identity of who we are and gain the joy and confidence and purpose that I know we all desire. So Genesis gives us that perspective. Remember, you've heard every week Israel read this book in the wilderness as they're moving towards the promised land trying to understand why they were going where they were going and what was God doing and who are these people around us that were going through their lands. And so we understand the purpose of the book is to trace our beginnings. God, the world, humanity, what's happened. And Moses, who authored this book, draws a very clear line through history of what God is doing and identifies God as the source of our origins and the creation life that we, in, we enjoy, and our creation in his image are fallen to sin. And then what is he doing about sin? So in Genesis, we see as the population of the earth grows, so does sin. Yet even in this, we see the beauty of the nations be in form, Technology advances, skills and tools and music and discovery begins of this planet. All stemming from, now this is important, God's judgment and his redemptive plan on this earth that he has created for his image bearers. In other words, we have sin and faith residing together. New Testament, wheat and tares together, flowers and weeds in this world, all occupants of this planet. So Genesis 10 and 11 gives us a perspective on the world that we know now after the flood. Just an understanding of this growing tapestry of God's plan to redeem his world. Just a quick summary of the book of Genesis 1 and 2, creation, the beauty of creation. Genesis 3, our fall into sin, responding to Satan, the great tempter. And in verse 15 of chapter 3, in the curse to Satan, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike Heal. We understand that now that scripture sees this as a reference to the Messiah to come. In Genesis 4 through 6, is the growing evil. Cain kills Abel. Evil continues to grow until God says, I've had enough. And Noah found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. In Genesis 7 through 9, we see the response of a gracious God sparing his humanity and and his creation because of the judgment of the flood. In Genesis 9, the covenant with the rainbow, but even in chapter 8 and verse 21, as we talked about last week, even this promise of God... Moses pens, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done in this way. Even in this grace, even in this movement past the flood, the human heart is still desperately wicked and in need of a redeemer. So that brings us to chapter 10. The fun genealogy. All the, all the begots that you see in the old King James Version. In fact, um, there's one satirical post by the Babylon Bee that said that the Bible Version apps are providing a skip button so you can go through all those. And just avoid the names. I suggest that we don't do that. Because they are so important. For in them we gain perspective and see the hand of God in this world. History is is his story history is our story of humanity and it shows us the the future and gives meaning to our urgent lives we should want to know how we got here if you don't care how you got here you're going to not have purpose and meaning to your life that's the importance of god's redemptive history And all of human history, we need to know where we come come from, where we're headed, and how do we live in this beautiful thing we call the present. So, chapter ten is the growth of the human race through the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. And then, in chapter ten, we see basically the geographical and linguistic spread of the human race after the flood. It's a summary. Chapter 11 is fit in chapter 10 with how this migration began and why the the human race was dispersed. So 10 is the summary. 11 has some more detail about the line of redemptive history and where we're headed. So chapter 10, look at verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood now most of the all, all the references today will be in the niv i like the way the niv has this flow at 10 and 11 and we can't cover all these verses so have your bible app open and your hard copy bible if you had it. we're just going to go through this and accent a few of the things in verses 1 through 5 the sons of japheth we see i understand from history From this family line, Europe, Asia Minor, in other words, Turkey, the Greeks, the Romans, were established. These are generalizations. From the sons of Japheth, that area of our world was settled. From the sons of Ham, verses 6 through 20, North Africa, the Eastern Mediterranean, we find the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amorites. Verse 10 talks about. A name you've heard before, Nimrod, a mighty warrior. He established Babylon. He established Nineveh. He was a conquering hero and warrior of that time. Verses 13 through 17, especially 13, you see Egypt, the father of the Luddites. You see the Philistines. You see the understanding now what was taking place in the Middle East, and we still see those challenges today. You also see the Jebusites in verse 15. Remember, they were the inhabitants of Jerusalem in David's day when he conquered Jerusalem, which is now called the city of David. From, stems again from this understanding of human history. We also see in verses 19 and 20 the outline of Canaan to be the promised land later. We see Sodom and Gomorrah to the east of Canaan. So you begin to see how human history is being filled out. Then verses 21 through 31, the sons of Shem, the Hebrews. In other words, the Jews, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, Persia, Iraq, Iran, that eastern part moving into Asia proper. And verse 25 is a clear understanding that there is a man that's going to be mentioned in the next chapter by the name of Peleg. Two sons were born to Eber, One was named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. That sets again 11 into 10 to help us understand what was going to take place in the world as it's dispersed. Then verse 31, summary, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within the nation, their nations, and from these nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Now, I know you can wake up now. We went through that genealogy. They understand, you see the thread beginning to take place in the development of this world. Now, 11 is the how and the why of the spread. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now, the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and settled there. The land of Shinar is Babylon, is modern-day Iraq. The then fertile plain, now notice very clearly, they went east. They moved eastward. Why is that mentioned? Because in the Old Testament, it is a reflection of people, of humanity, moving away from their creator God. Genesis 3, 24, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden to the east of Eden and he placed an angel to guard the entrance. Genesis four sixteen, Cain was sent from the Lord's presence and lived east in the land of Nod, east of the garden of Eden. Later, Genesis 13, 10 through 12, Abraham and Lot separate. Remember that story? Their, their flocks were too great and Abraham gave Lot a choice He chose to go east, shows a little bit about his heart, towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So you have this reflection, even in this understanding of moving away from Eden, they're moving away from their creator. Reminds me of that classic novel by John Steinbeck, East of Eden, who captured it in a very modern way. This mixture of sin and and humanity and the kindness and grace and love and depravity and all these things. He got everything from Genesis 1 through 11. The picture of men and women leaving the presence of the God who created them. So what was their plan? Look at verses 3 and 4. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Notice the pride and the arrogance of this human Endeavor. What were they looking for? They're looking for power and security and pride in their own purpose apart from God. They have a great use of technology of the day in building the city. And this city reflects their pride as, look what we have accomplished as citizens of this earth apart from God. This is our city. This is our place. And we're going to build this great tower of pride and worship to the God, basically, of our choosing. The tower was a ziggurat. You see those pictures in history books in the, in the Middle East, especially a pyramid-type building. Probably the first multi-story structure of the time. Refers to a fortress refers to security, and the top of these towers, there was always a shrine honoring a local deity. It was the center of the city that they were building. It's a symbol of human autonomy and pride. It is a strikeout on their own to establish their own identity. But verse 5, this beautiful God-given conjunction The Lord came down. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. I see the, you see the irony of that? You're building a tower to the heavens and I got to come down. To even catch a glimpse of this tiny little matchbox tower that you are trying to construct in glory to yourself. But the Lord came down to see the city. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us. Here's a Trinitarian reference again. Let us come down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. I think it's important to note five times in these references, in these verses, the Lord is mentioned is intervening and speaking. And the name for Lord is that personal name for Lord, Yahweh, or in the English, Jehovah. How did we get that name? How did Moses understand, again, this personal understanding of this creator God? He's not some great Elohim, some great divinity. He's a personal God whom Moses spoke to, the burning bush, and he asked God, you want me to rescue your people. Who shall I say is sending me? And God said, say, I am is sending you. I am. Jehovah. It means to cause, to be, to exist. He creates. He is because he is. And that's how we get the great I am. Tell them they ever present existing one is the one who's coming to see what you finite men and women are trying to do apart from the one who's eternally existent understand that picture the personal sovereign god comes to see what they're doing and he sees that he needs to confuse them and scatter them look at verses eight and nine So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, which means to confuse. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why did God scatter his image bearers? This pride... And congregating for security and identity apart from God was a specific disobedience to the command to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 128, God to Adam. Genesis 9, 1 and 7, God to Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Don't congregate, fill my planet that I have created for you. Instead, they do the opposite. They migrated to the east, and God says, I'm going to scatter you to the four winds of the earth. And they have to find their own language. Can you imagine that? That confusion? They're building a city, and all of a sudden, they don't understand plas- past the cement. Can you put that there? Can you go get food? All of a sudden, it was a massive confusion. They began to congregate and realize what was going on, and they- and had their own clans and their own nations. The Hebrew word is goy. Gentile. They moved out throughout the whole earth. He scattered his people. And today we have about one hundred languages on this planet. It's mind-boggling to think that. 7,100 different dialects. Chapter 11. God is producing his people. 10 through 32 is the line of Shem. We get from his name that Shem, we hear it often as Semitic or more often in a negative context, anti-Semitic. God is going to produce his redeemer through the line of Shem. That's why there's a particular genealogy of faith through the line of Shem. Just a few names to point out from Eber we talked about to Peleg, his son, to Nahor, to Terah, and then the one we know very well to Abram. That is in these 22 verses. It is a rebuke to the people of Babylon who wanted to make a name for themselves, but this name goes to a man who I'm going to choose. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to find and call another man who's going to th- bring my redeemer, and his name is Abram. I want us to look at verse 32, 31, excuse me, and read through 12, 3 to see this line, this genealogy. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter in law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here again is an understanding of this messianic line to come through a man and a family God had chosen. I want us to hold that thought, that understanding for just a minute, and I want us to see The perfect symmetry of these genealogies. There are 70 listed in Genesis 10, 70 names. Abraham's children under Jacob and his family, when they went to Egypt to avoid the famine and God called his people out of Egypt 400 years later, scripture records there were 70 that went into Egypt. Genesis 46, 27 is very clear. Seventy. Coincidence? I don't think so. God is saying, I am at work in the nations. I am at work in the people I am calling to be my own. Seventy in that genealogy, 70 people going into Egypt who will come out later to the promised land. This numerical symbolism, the concept of the nations is represented there. At all Nations find their ultimate origins in the three sons of Noah. And out of these nations, Abraham is called, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and you go on through the Old Testament, the new humanity, the father of many nations, the plan of God's redemption is working. He is working his plan out perfectly genealogical perspective is a vista of what God has done. A perspective of history that leads us to look at our lives today and to continue to see what God is going to do. I don't know about you but that gives me great comfort to understand where I came from. Understanding what God is doing now. And God's prophecies still aren't fulfilled completely. But I need to understand what He is doing in order how to live a life that He wants me to live. So, what are we learning about God, His world, our identity, and our purpose? I want to give us five things as we wrap up. We need to keep a check on our pride. Remember the words of God to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Every moment, every breath that we take, sin is crouching at the door. He's in the atmosphere. He's in our own hearts. The heart is deceitful, Jeremiah says, and desperately wicked. Moses penned that again in in chapter 8, as we talked about earlier. Keep a check On your hearts. It is in our nature to leave God and find the good apart from Him. And there's a lot of good things in this life that we can pursue, but in a heartbeat, they can replace worship of the God of heaven. We will reach far and wide to find soul rest. And things that do not have any meaning eternally. We can pursue the arts and technology and the joys of this earth. But we have to understand we have a human construct to gather together as a herd. And say look what we have accomplished apart from God. We cannot help it. We need a Redeemer. Secondly, humanity's pride does not derail, does not derail God's purpose. Look at Matthew 1. If you have your Bibles, and then put this on the screen, we ended with Abram, later known as Abraham, as you know. Look at one one. this is the what genealogy of Jesus the Messiah son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac Isaac the father of Jacob Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers down in verse 16 another Jacob centuries later Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary And Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called the Messiah. The purposeful call of God through the nations, through the man he was called, ended up where he wanted it. This is the one. This is the redeemer that humanity needs. This has been my plan all along. There is importance in this thing called history. Seeing God's hand move throughout the generations, century by century, all of our sin laid on this Messiah. He pays the price of our rebellion, nation by nation, clan by clan, neighbor by neighbor, heart by heart. It all leads, God said to my son, hear him, John the Baptist said. Listen to him. He has great love and a great plan in store for us. Third thing, we've got to be reminded of this. God will bring final justice to his world. John, uh, Genesis 3.15 is not forgotten. Not only a Messiah but the judgment of the nations, the judgment of evil in every form. So here's the understanding. Don't be surprised by ongoing sin. It is the world that we live in. Satan will be defeated for all eternity. Babylon will be destroyed once and for all. Revelation 14 through 18 talks about, again, the system of Babylon. We have it in the beginning and we have it at the end the continual struggle of humanity and the movement of pride to say, look what we have accomplished. And the Lord one day will end it all. And there again will be a new heavens and a new earth. We have to be reminded often, daily, we are not home yet. And so we look at the busyness of our lives. We see the understanding of our own heart, and we wonder what in the world is God doing? Why doesn't he take care of this evil and that one? What's going on in the, in the nations of this world? Why is Russia doing what they're doing in the Ukraine? What is taking place in our communities, in our school? And we sometimes we say, God, what in the world is going on What is your plan? How do we live in this? We can get so discouraged, and we just get busier and busier not to think about that. We need to be reminded that we are not home yet, and we are to live in this. And we are to live in with a certain perspective. And that's my fourth point. So as a Christian, we are to live with patience and joy in the midst of all the stuff around us that drives us nuts as people of God and we want to see it stopped and we live out our values and we do our best and it seems oftentimes we're defeated more than anything else, we can really get depressed and we can get discouraged and we can question the very existence of God because what are you doing? And when are you coming back? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, write these down. Paul wrote this book in the light of Christ's return. He says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now you get this, for this is God's will for you. You want to know what God's will in this time? These things. Pray, rejoice, be patient, give thanks. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How in the world is that possible? It's because we trust the God of human history, He is working his plan we can rejoice and we can pray and we can be patient and we can be thankful all the time god is at work even in this weed and tears together even the lost and the saved together we are in his planet we are in his world and he's working out his will so therefore we can enjoy all the things that he gives us genesis 4 talks about technology tubal cane and tools and and everything we can enjoy, and then mute the father of music and the arts, jubil— All these were created in God's image and also depraved in their hearts. All of this holiness and sin is mingled together in this planet, and God says, I want you to be a witness of my grace. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to be grateful. I want you to see where you came from, and what I'm doing. It is why you can say, I enjoyed a few minutes watching a football game. It's why you can pick up a good book and sit with your cup of coffee and a donut and say, isn't God good? And then just hope the scale breaks, but that's okay. You know what I'm saying? We live Our righteousness in the midst of a lot of unrighteousness. And God says, trust me. Be joyful in me. Be grateful for what you have and then what is coming. Number five, find identity and purpose in your creator. Take a moment even this this day. Are you a follower of the Messiah, Jesus? Do you find your identity in your creator? The stream of history points to Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you see that through the eyes of faith? That God is working his beautiful, wonderful, sometimes mystifying plan to us humans. But God is at work. He's the one who created us. He is the one who's moving through our moments. That once the moment is past, we call it history. So Genesis 10 and 11, the line of humanity to Abraham in Genesis 12, and the line to our story, our story of faith, our genealogy, where do we fit? Galatians 3, 6 through 8. Now look at this very carefully in a line of what we just heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, And announced the gospel, notice that, he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. That's profound right there. This good news was happening in this genealogy of God calling Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. That means us. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And you move to Acts 1 and the apostles spoke the language of every person who was in Jerusalem so they heard the gospel in their own language. Through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Grace, Sarech, met Howard H chipchase in toronto canada he was a precocious red-haired loudmouth englishman who was playing semi-pro hockey and she knew he had to be tough because back then they didn't have any masks they both found jesus and they had five children The oldest, Miriam Chipchase, was to become my mom. Meanwhile, in northern Wisconsin, Helen Fleming lost her husband to the Spanish flu in 1918, 1920. They had five children. They lived on a farm. God helped her find Henry Marceau who had never been married. They had eight children. I am the oldest of the youngest of that reunion. And Henry and Helen Marceau came to know Jesus by listening to gospel radio. Still see that radio. The change in their life was profound. Richard Marceau went to Moody Bible Institute and he met Miriam Chipchase. And they fell in love. And they had three children who they shared the gospel with. And then I met A Nancy French at Kono Christian School whose parents were believers, and they shared the gospel with her, and she was a believer. And then we had children. You know what I'm saying? What is your genealogy of faith to look back and just be blessed by it? What God is doing in your life, in your family. Maybe you need to start that story today. Maybe you may be the first one in your family to know Jesus. But you begin another line of faith. What God has done in your world, in your family. I want us to just bow together and just meditate on these words I'm going to read. It's a modern-day hymn that was revised from the 18th century. I love it. It just so fits Genesis 10 and 13. I want you to listen prayerfully as I read this. Sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in your hand, all events are at your command. His decree who formed the earth fixed my first and second birth. Now my life, him to owe, where he leads me, I will go. Plagues and deaths around me fly till he bids, I cannot die, not a single shaft can hit till the God of love thinks fit. Times the tempter's power to prove, times to taste a Savior's love, all must come and last and end as shall please my heavenly friend. And he that formed me in the womb he shall guide me to the tomb and all my time shall ever be ordered by his wise decree ever faithful ever true keep my heart to only you since I cannot part from thee you are everywhere solemn ruler ever be let these words land in your hearts as we participate in communion this morning my brothers and sisters the sovereign God in our sin sent his son trust trust in him maybe for the first time today And then partake in the bread and the cup.